We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And today, we're going to do our last look back at the wonderful 2020 NBA title run. We're coming up on a lot of current events that everybody's going to be interested in between trades and free agency and the draft. Uh, and boy, do I wish this offseason was longer so we could celebrate what a great year that was a little bit more. But we're going to do one more pod kind of looking back before we start to look in the present and then forward. And that's going to be on the role players. We've done Palenka. We've done uh, Frank Vogel, LeBron, AD. Uh, and this one's going to kind of cover everybody else that's, that's playing, right? And uh, we're going to start with a guy who was uh, – he's the longest tenured Laker. And he uh, was kind of a foil for Laker fans, a, a source of great frustration. And I think back to a game at home early in the season against the Charlotte Hornets. He had, I think he'd had one point up to that time and he was starting to get booed at home. And he hit his first jump shot in the fourth quarter and the whole bench, and this was one of the first signs of like early chemistry. The whole bench was like, yes, like finally he made a shot. And 
he went from then from being booed at home due to his lackluster production to being one of the more universally loved and respected role players on the Lakers due to his contribution. And of course, I'm talking about Contavious Caldwell Pope, big part of our playoff run. Uh, had a, just a wonderful season, wonderful turnaround. In context of everything, Darius, uh, just quick thoughts on on KCP's season. He just had a great year, like a very good role player year, right? And when I think about a role player, you don't always have to be great right? You don't, you're going to have your ups and downs. It, it's one of the reasons why you're not relied upon nightly. And for most of the season, um, KCP was a bench player, right? Like he wasn't even a starter and he only got inserted into the starting lineup when Avery Bradley didn't come to Orlando to be a part of the restart. It, so to see him manage what was a new role for him as a bench player because he had started his two previous seasons with the team and to see him navigate the ups and downs and to never get too low even when he wasn't performing well to see him bounce back from bad games um, there was a resiliency that um, you and I talked a lot about this year that we thought this team had in them Um, and KCP on a lot of levels personified that right? Because he wasn't the guy who was most loved. Um, you talked about this a few pods ago about my um, my joking statement about the type of uh, like what I would offer KCP when free agency came around. And I was ready to see him walk basically as a free agent. And for him to come back and play as well as he did was just um, really enheartening to me, yeah. like it shows there's like a human side of this that I always appreciate. And KCP yeah. was that for me. Mike, there was a game to me. One of the things that stood out to me most during the postseason was game one against Portland. Right. And KCP was like, oh, for seven. And I think he ended up like one for nine or something like that. He had a really bad game. Yeah. Oh, for nine field goal, over oh, five from three. He bounced right back in game two and then throughout the playoffs he was just a high level performer and and I was wondering if there was a moment for you that stood out the way that that Hornets game stood out for Pete or maybe that how that transition after game one from Portland stood out for me um, when it comes to KCP's overall season it's just it's such a battle whether it's the regular season start or the postseason start to Get over what you saw or what you're seeing immediately. And that's where experience comes in. That's why guys like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, uh, Phil Jackson, like anybody that's made multiple runs are so good about uh, having perspective that it's like when KCP starts 0 for 5 against Portland, you can't let that narrative go crazy because guess what he shot in games 2 through 5? 49%. And wow. So it's just, it's silly. Like he went 0 for 5 one game. The entire team couldn't hit a shot that game. And yet he takes a lot of heat for it. Same thing. To, so early in the season, the reason why Catavius has such a tough start from all aspects is because he, he simply didn't hit shots, not just in the first game, but in the second game. So against the Clippers, he goes 0 for 3, um, misses both his threes. Against the Jazz, he goes 0 for 6. So it's an 0 for 9 start. And from that point on, he was good. Like he was perfectly fine. He shot 44% from three in the month of November, for example. Right, The month of December, guess what he shot from three? 46%. In January, he shot 43%. 
Now he cooled off in February, um, and kind of after that was the that was a little bit of the I felt like underreported thing is that he had a, a longer slump there. But then once you get into the postseason, again pretty consistently around forty percent. And I think the all of that Frank Vogel kept in a really good perspective throughout the season because he said and and he put Danny Green in the same exact place. These guys give me constant effort and energy on defense, and they don't make a lot of mistakes. So. In related news, their plus minus is pretty good. And I know we're going to get to Danny Green a little bit later, but they are the the type of players that you have to have around LeBron and AD. Like, There's a reason why this worked. And it's because regardless of if you see him miss shots in a certain night, he gets them off quickly, he's in the right spots, and teams always have to rotate out to him. So I, I kind of always felt like there was a anytime he would get into a shooting slump, I would ask Frank Vogel a question about it, knowing that he would come back with a like, it's all good. Because I, I thought that was important, and that's where that's where you know Frank was consistent, and I think that helped that his teammates as well um, had his back. Most notably, Dwight Howard early in the season. That was my first telltale sign about Dwight being like, "Oh, Dwight's not here thinking about himself. He's out here publicly defending KCP and, and trying to take heat off of him." Mm-hmm. So that that told me something as well. As I as I tangent there, guys, but the, the point was, yes, KCP um, was was much better, I think, than some realized. Well, it speaks to how difficult it is to play for the Lakers, right? You can't struggle quietly with the Lakers. And we had are coming into the season with huge expectations and we need our role guys to be able to step up. And this guy who's kind of frustrated us for a couple of years starts out 0 for 9 and, you know, everyone's hair is on fire. But he... He was resilient. That's that human side that Darius is talking about that I really connect to is his ability to stay with it. I was so impressed from uh, watching tape and then getting the cool angles from the Lakers that are a little closer. You can see shooting form a lot better than you can from the broadcast angle. So that's been really fun. And one thing that stood out to me about KCP from that tape is his ability to shoot the same way every time off of a number of different movements. He can sidestep, he can one dribble and even step back back off of a catch and shoot, right? His ball handling really limits kind of the moves that he can execute, but he shoots catch and shoot shooter shots that like, and and he combines it, he can do it at a really high rate of speed. So there was a corner three that he hit. I want to say it was in game four against Miami, the, where it was the game where we really, oh, we got this. We take command of the series with the three, one lead. And it was in transition. He sprinted deep corner. LeBron hit him with a hit ahead and Think of that from KCP's perspective, right? And it's, put yourself in the shoes of the player. You're sprinting as fast as you can to that deep corner. It's way late in the game. You've been chasing Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero around, right? So you're as tired as you're going to be at any point in the game, late in the finals. You're running as fast as you can, and you catch the ball from the corner. So your eyes are up court. You're standing in the corner. So as a shooter, it's way easier to shoot kick-out type shots because your eyes are already in the direction. You're already oriented toward the basket. You reach across your body. You catch that, and you face up. And you've got somebody flying at you to close out because they know how important of a shot this is. I think we were up two or something like that. He hits this corner three to put us up five. Huge shot. And it was, to me, that type of shot is, that shot right there, man, is all the work that you put in. All of the hours that you put in in the gym because that's the highest level of basketball in the most daunting of circumstances. And he was making those type of plays with his speed. And that goes to his, his work in the gym and his conditioning. 
it's the culmination, right, of of yeah. all the work. And AD screamed it out during the locker room, right? Like, this is why we work, right? And, yeah. And, and, oh, and, I love that. Yes. And he's holding the trophy, and it is, right? But within the context of a game or a big moment, that's why you work too, right? Is because mm. when, when pressure is the highest and the moment is that big, you're you're recalling on instinct and muscle memory and all of these things that have basically stacked on top of each other to be now a part of you as as a player and and so just huge props to kcp man also pete i just want to credit you because this is something that you were saying all year about him dude just plays hard he plays hard all all of the time um all those leak out dunks and, and he had some really big like transition defense plays this year, like chase down blocks and and, and just high rev with his motor and a guy who never seemed to make excuses about anything, right? Like he could have easily been a complainer when it comes to the fact that his role got changed or he's not playing as many minutes, but but there he is in the finals making big play after big, big play. So that that's perfect segue to the next guy I want to talk about because another player who could have very easily complained about minutes or role or any of that is Dwight Howard. He came in and filled Mike, you were talking about this earlier about how he was uh, you know, standing up for for KCP kind of and it illustrated a certain mentality of what he's here what he's here to do. Uh you were with the team when he was with the team that one year, right? That one season with Kobe and, and all that. I'm curious your thoughts, Mike, on just like the the change, the the different type of player that he was from one experience to the next. It could not have been more different. So it, it was, in fact, that's why there was so much skepticism for anybody that was around that time. And because the Dwight's previous stops had not gone great either. But the credit the Lakers for seeing something and who are the, the, the folks that were in that workout, and I know that included some of the players, he, he came with this whole new attitude and perhaps some of it was born out of you know desperation and that this may have been his actual uh, last chance, right? And, and also just from his previous contract had, had expired. And so I guess that's that's part of the real world things that sometimes make people think a certain way. But I don't want to take away from the credit that Dwight gets here. And the way that I always describe this in the past is that when he came here to play, he was traded for, of course, uh, to play with Kobe and Powell and Steve Nash on paper and on the Sports Illustrated cover. It was, oh, perfect screen roll, dive to the rim center to go with Steve Nash and he'll defend his ass off every night. And when he got here, I remember that inside the NBA used to do these preseason roundtables, essentially. And Shaq was on one of them, and he made a comment that Dwight was only a screen roll big. He couldn't post up, and therefore he wasn't as good. And Mm -hmm. I'm convinced, I've never asked Dwight about this. I'd like to at some point in the right context. I'm convinced that Dwight heard that and said, you know what? I'm going to show everybody that I'm more than a screen roll big. And so... It just didn't work. That right there, that was the baseline that didn't work. Finally, it started to get reported about around February and Nash said some things and Kobe said some things and Dwight almost got forced into being more like that player. And that's when the Lakers, we forget before Kobe tore his Achilles, reeled off a really impressive stretch and teams were not going to be interested in playing them in the postseason. And then Kobe tears his Achilles and it's all moot. But So that was the background. This year, Dwight comes in. 
And it's just all, all, all I am going to do is play defense, set screens, roll to the rim, be an enforcer. And I'm not going to ever ask for the ball. I'm going to cheer my teammates. I'm going to, and he did it all through the whole year. There Go wasn't even the boards a lapse. On every play, right? He, he would yeah. rebound his ass off. Yeah. Yeah. Like there wasn't even, there wasn't a game that I can think of where he didn't do that. And that's exactly what the Lakers needed. And it helped them win the title. It, it helped them against Denver, most notably, even though they didn't need him as much in other series. So he gets, he gets the credit for that. He just does. Uh, bravo to Dwight. Uh, he deserved his ring. And uh, what a turnaround for him after things had really gone the other direction. The interesting thing to me is how he fit in to the locker room stuff and beyond the like positive attitude and the sticking up for KCP, one of the things that Dwight was, you know, kind of trashed on for in the past was that he wasn't a serious guy, right? Like um, that he was a jokester and he didn't take the game seriously and you had all the jokes, right, about like his love for candy or his um, flatulence or all kinds of other things <laughs> that basically were like storylines associated with his name, right? Like, sure. and, and he was looked at as sort of a clown to a certain extent, like for lack of a better word. And I always thought it was going to be interesting the way that he fit in with LeBron, right? Who is a very, who I think from an outsider's perspective is a very serious-minded person and committed to winning and on down the line. But one of the things that I think I've learned more about LeBron over the two years that he's been with with the Lakers, and I think was clear to people who probably followed him closely in his previous spots, is that he's just a big kid too. Like, he loves to have fun. He loves to joke around. He loves to, like, dance around and do a bunch of that stuff too. And I think there was a levity that you need when competing at such a high level. And Dwight no longer being, like, the face of the team, right? He's no, he's, He's a bit player now. He's a role player. He's on a minimum contract that wasn't even guaranteed until like halfway through the season. And so I actually think that that pairing worked sort of nicely, that it was that he that that sort of like lightheartedness and ability to to joke around too was something that was probably needed and added something to the locker room as well. It's funny because none of what we've really talked about is can Dwight Howard play basketball? Yeah. It's like, of course, Dwight Howard can like the reason he was on a minimum deal and, you know, looking for a team had nothing to do with whether or not he could play. And he's one of the Lakers free agents where I'm like, oh, if Dwight walks a certain component of the team leaves right that ability to Jokic and Denver's offense. Denver was the team that I thought beat our defense when our defense was really trying and locked in. I thought that they got the most wins of any team that we faced in the playoffs. And that's, that was in a context where Dwight Howard was a very good matchup for Nikola Jokic, right? He wasn't as appropriate for Houston or for even the Miami series, but in that series, we don't, didn't have anybody else who was beefy enough to bang with one of the best players in the game. Like, yo, there's teams are going to have a Jokic problem in the playoffs, uh, on, on the defensive end. And Dwight helped address that about as well as anybody can. And if, if a, if you can get a player on a minimum contract 
to in one series, in just one series, was a real key to the way that that series went. You really got yourselves a, a hell of a in player. one game, Pete. Like a minimum player guy, if he wins you one playoff game, yeah, like there's yeah, only man. sixteen of those wins. You all like you need to get sixteen of those. And if a guy making two million dollars a year gets you one of those, one right, that's a huge victory, and guys. Yeah. Not only that, if the Lakers didn't have the best answer in the NBA at center in Anthony Davis, just there on the roster, then I think Dwight could have done even more and they could have leaned on him even more, (laughs) which brings out that minimum value to a greater extent. But they had the luxury of going to AD at the five in all of these lineups where very few other teams would have a big that was better in sort of whatever situation you want in a series than to be able to bench Dwight Howard. And the Lakers did because Anthony Davis is incredible. And the ability to not only bench Dwight Howard, but to play him 15 to 18 minutes per game, that was one of the hallmarks of Dwight's year is how he played hard on every single play. And it's easier to do that when you're playing 15 to 18 minutes than if you're playing 26 to 30, right? And so Dwight just brought it this year. He was everything and more of what we could have hoped. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hit some of the other role players who had a lot to do with this championship. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best offer available anywhere. So right now, go to Indeed.com backslash podcast. Terms and conditions apply, and the offer is valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over, and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so we go from a former number one pick redemption story to a, a guy on the opposite end of the spectrum, one of the beloved uh, player. <laughs> Mike's holding up his phone. He knows who I'm going to. That's one of my favorite pictures. Uh, he's a guy I, I've said before, he's the only NBA player I've gotten to talk to about basketball in a one-on-one setting, uh, a guy that we've all championed from his G League days. Everyone loves him, and, and he went from – the G League to starting game six of the NBA finals and kicking ass there and everywhere along the way. Uh, of course, talking about the long and strange journey of Alex Caruso. Mike, I want to start with you being within the organization throughout AC's tenure. 
we see from an outsider's perspective this this ascension, right? This uh, this rags to riches type of story. But AC's a guy who I don't think people realize how how self aware he is and how he's a he's a gets it type of guy. And I think that you could provide a lot more insight on that than Darius and I can. Yeah, it's been it's been a, a pleasure to watch the what the mix of intelligence and hard work and athleticism that you know Crusoe has all three but uh, to see that rise and I, I think this is part of what this Lakers team had this year uh, or a part of what they lacked this year was fans getting to watch certain players develop up through the system like they got to watch Kobe for example so I think there's a part of that that, I, that where Caruso is more identifiable and Kuzma uh, to a, a lesser extent to get to see um, in right in front of our eyes this rise from a guy who you know first really came onto the scene in the summer league on that on that super talented team that won in Las Vegas um, and you know he's playing big minutes in part because they only they played Brandon Ingram just the one game and then oh okay hold on a second yeah this this guy can play then he signs the two-way deal, and you see him pop up in spots, and there's a flash for a dunk here, but it was, it was still very early Caruso, um, to the point where finally his minutes go up. And the thing that the big picture thing that I kept trying to take out of this for Caruso was that if you watched every Laker game, the eye test was just going to tell you that he was good. It, it whether it was it, it, not necessarily like if you didn't look at the box score, but you just watched the game, you'd come out of that thinking, okay, yeah, this this dude can play. So that's that's something we talk about the hard work and and the he pops like he pops on the screen. He's he's fast. He's uh, got short area quickness. Obviously, he's got hops as well. But just like athletically, he really stands out in a league of the you know the best athletes in the world. For sure. So that's that's one side of it. Then the the next side of it is for the nerds and the advanced stats and when you when you break it down not the box not like the counting stats but the wait a second Alex Caruso had the best plus minus on the team again hold on who is it that ranks number 1 in the NBA in a two man lineup with LeBron James it's Alex Caruso again and all of those things that kept popping up Caruso in fact on the in the regular season he had the highest net rating on the team 9.8 if that, and that's if you take out the tiny sample size of like Devontae Kaycock played one game and had 22.7. So just shout out to him. Kostas played five games, a total of four minutes. Okay. But anybody else on the whole roster, number two was LeBron James, right at 8.5. So that right there tells you something. And whether that was playing with LeBron or uh, in the minutes when, when he actually maybe came on the scene a little bit more for the league at large was last season at the end when he was having these eye-popping stats games. And it's like, wait a second. So if you give him a big role, he can do that kind of stuff too. So mm-hmm. it's just this this steady Darius evolution of evidence from eye test to asking the coaches about him to asking LeBron James about him. Like LeBron name checking you is usually a good sign. LeBron doesn't do that for players that can't play. So all of this evidence keeps mounting and it, you almost feel like you need all of it to overcome the fact that he was undrafted, the fact that he was in the G League. But he guess what? It's it's there now. It's arrived. He's a champion. He started game six. The production is there. And uh, that's it's just been very, very nice to see that happen uh, to a guy that uh, that deserves it deserves, from the way that he works, the way that he thinks the game. Look, we could have turned this section into a four-hour pod, right? Our our love for Alex Caruso is strong. Pete and I have been on the Alex Caruso train for a long time, 
right? We have upgraded seats. Mm-hmm. We've got all the great meals that get delivered right right to our chairs. We're right there. I'd like to think I'd like to think we're driving it. Dennis. Yes, uh, well, we were there very early. I mean, we yes. laid down the track beforehand. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, if anyone who's listening to this pod, if you haven't already, um, please go listen to Alex Caruso's appearance on JJ Reddick's pod because that was a great listen. And Alex talks about a bunch of stuff related to his growth as a player and his career trajectory and playing with LeBron. There's a bunch of great anecdotes in there. The one story that he told on that pod, though, that stood out to me was when he was actually with the OKC Thunder and playing for their G League team. And he told this story about how, and Pete, this speaks to your point about self, about self-awareness, right? Um, mm-hmm. He told this story about how they were at, I think, maybe like the G League Classic or something like that, where they bring in all, all of the teams to play. And Sam Presti, the Thunder's GM, traveled with the G League team to go watch them play. And... Presty grabbed the entire G League team and sat them down in a room and gave them like an hour or 90 minutes of of his time and basically said, ask me anything you want, right? Like, I'm a NBA general manager. And, and Caruso said that one of the questions that he asked was about like, like, what are you looking for in a player who is going to get called up from the G League, right? And... Presty talk, talked about, you know, like playing hard and playing defense and like defensive versatility and who can you guard. And and Alex said, you know, that was when at that time the guards on the Thunder were Oladipo and Russell Westbrook. And so he <laughs> right. so he's just like, oh, you know, I've got some defensive versatility, but that's the level I have to get to in terms of a defender. I need to be able to guard those guys, right? And the work then, the mindset that he carried of, this is the job in front of me, and this is the work that I have to do in order to achieve my dream. And that idea of, I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to get in the gym. I'm going to do my work. I'm going to get in the weight room. I'm going to lift. I'm going to do all of the little things that need to happen in order for me to become the thing that other, that general managers are looking for in order to make it in this league. And where's his calling card now, man? He is an impact defensive player who has defensive versatility and can guard a bunch of different guys. And we saw that all throughout this playoff run, starting out with Dame and CJ and going all the way through trying to guard players like Jamal Murray and then then chasing guys off of screens with Hero and Robinson. So just much love for our guy, AC, man. Mike, what you got? I sat down with Caruso in uh, the New Orleans hotel room uh, back in late November, kind of early December. And so I basically wanted to just ask him from the beginning, how did you get here? And this goes back to how he grew up, uh, what happened in high school, his relationship with his father, how he got into basketball and so on. It's called Alex Caruso, how he got here on Lakers.com. And what I'll try to do when Pete puts out the the link, I'll try to do a swipe up on on the next thing for it. But it's just interesting to hear it in his words. And when you when you hear about his path and all of the just 
what he was thinking about as he was going through it. It makes a lot of sense. You just have to keep remembering that he's also 6'5", wiry, strong, explosive. Like he he is a true NBA caliber athlete where where he has made separated himself from a lot of other NBA caliber athletes that he played against in the AAU system growing up, et cetera, was that once he got on a team, I don't care if it was his high school team, an AAU team, uh, Texas Tech, onto the G League, onto the Lakers, he figures out quickly what he needs to do to help that team win and to and coaches notice the the numbers notice but like that's what it is really it's it's that uh, there are so many i shouldn't say there are so many there are so few players that have the athletic chops to start but then where, where caruso has made his money is by then figuring out through his own brain through his own sense and his own humility um how to help that team win and, and that's what's going to keep him in the league for a long damn time. Like he's, I think he's going to be around and have one of those careers where the teams are trying, like the Jawan Howard role late in his career where he's like 39 and still getting contracts, you know, because <laughs> because he's going to still be on these teams. And a, a big part of that, you mentioned his dad, he's a coach's son. And I, I want to speak to his on-court play and so much of uh, my love for basketball is reflected in how he plays. And my love, the love that I try to put forth in the content that I create is really this like, hey, if you just slow down, like, look at this thing right here. This is what this player does. Where if you watch basketball in real time, you miss so much. It, like, this is why coaches watch tape, right? This is why coaches obsess over tape. Because if you watch it in real time, it just goes by way too fast to see all this stuff. But if you slow the game down, you really, and watch Alex Crusoe, you really get an uh, appreciation for, I'm going to set this screen and, and I'm going to make sure that I'm lining up the middle of my chest with the defender's shoulder. This is the proper execution of technique, right? Uh, I'm going to get that wide stance out. And this is not just that I'm going to make good contact on my screens. I understand how to make good contact on my screens. And I'm going to take it as a point of pride to set my screens in this way all of the time. It's no coincidence that when it's a close game in the fourth quarter, who's the connective tissue between LeBron James and Alex and Anthony Davis a lot of the time? It's Alex Crusoe setting a screen of some sort for AD. And the under, and then there's an understanding of how basketball works, like of, of being, of understanding, well, if the defender came from this spot, he makes some of the quickest swing passes you'll ever see because he understands the value of capitalizing on that extra, like quick, quick second that is the difference between an open corner three for a teammate and a slightly more contested one. And, and then the defensive stuff that you were talking about, Mike, that versatility that how many times he was one of our better defenders on Jokic, right? Where you just like wall the guy off as best you can and wait for the cavalry to arrive to block the shot. And so it's this appreciation for the elements of the game that are very much real, that are not reflected in the box score, aside from plus minus. And plus, even there, plus minus can, you know, you can be doing all that great stuff, or you can just be on the floor at the same time when LeBron goes nuts. And so even then, it's this very murky statistic, but it's why he is so, he performs in those numbers is because that mastery of these really interesting elements of the game that if we took a closer look at, I think people would develop even a deeper level basketball he plays the game the right way that's a cliche and um even the idea of the coach's son and you know the white oh, the white player whole, like, hard hat guy yeah right? he's like, like hoogers he's like a fantasy like yeah, but there but yeah. there's a reason why <laughs> cliches exist it's because a lot of times they are true 
right? They're, they are rooted mm-hmm. in truth. He does make the extra pass. He does understand the way that defenses are trying to load up against a teammate who is the primary offensive player. So he understands cuts. He understands angles on where to float in in order to get into the passing vision of the primary ball handler, right? Um, he has great feel as a passer in the open court. And his defensive ability is not just... It's a combination of physical tools and um, understanding of of like game plan and what a guy is trying to do against you, but also it's instincts, man. Like we talked a ton during the Anthony Davis pod about just like his otherworldly defensive instincts, right? But Caruso is one of those guys too, where it's just like, oh, it's a two on one. I trust him. In a two on one or yeah, or a three on one to yeah, yeah. to I'm saying as a defender that's back oh right right, right, right. and Danny gotcha, Green gotcha. has mm-hmm. this too Derek Fisher was another guy who had this skill where Sissor sort of like got you to break up the yeah like break. I understand yes, gotcha. what this is I know how to faint at a guy to make him start to pick up his dribble or telegraph where the pass is going. I can read footwork in order to slide a certain way and pick up an open court charge. There are all of these things and they are little things, right? But when you do so many little things well, those things add up and they stack up in order to become a big thing over a much larger sample size. And that's where I think, Mike, it shows up in advanced statistics and on-off numbers and lineup data and all of this other stuff where it's just like, oh, there he is again. There he is again. Oh, he's part of another three-man lineup or two-man lineup or four-man lineup where this group performs well, not over the course of a four-game sample or a 10-game sample, but over the course of a 50-game sample, over 500 minutes, 600 minutes, 800 minutes. It's like, oh, yeah, this dude can play, and he is that connective tissue, Pete. And so it's just like we said the last pod. We could do a whole pod on this dude, but but I'm glad that we went a little long with this. The last little note, Pete, on Caruso, though, for me, with it is about how he played off LeBron the most, though. That that is still the thing that because mm-hmm. LeBron is the guy that's going to be on the court. He's the one that's pulling all the strings. And if you put another IQ on the level of LeBron's out there, that's that's going to exponentially have an impact on the floor. And that's what I think that's what the whenever I would ask Caruso or LeBron, hey, why does it work well? And Caruso would just be like, I, you know, we both just think the game. And that, that was his answer. And it's true. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what happened. And they think it very quickly. Caruso is one of the mentally one of the quickest players on the team. The only guy that's faster than him is LeBron, right? And and so that ability to process information when you can so that manifests itself is you make decisions faster than other players do. And in doing so, guys are more open because you that split second, you have capitalized that spatially. And and so they're both really wonderful at, at doing that. Um, we go from him to somebody who, uh, if KCP was a bit of a foil for the fan base, this guy was uh, even more so. And uh, joined the team last season, not this championship season, but the one before. It was a source of great frustration for the first two years. And then he his uh, his 
eponymous playoff uh, version of himself showed up and uh, he was an essential part, that second ball handler, of course, in Rajon Rondo. Uh, Darius, he was a guy that you and I really killed and and uh, was someone who... To be quite frank, I don't feel bad about about the regular season observations I made about him. Uh, where I was definitely wrong, though, is whether or not he was capable. And he showed us in these playoffs that he certainly was. Yeah, man, look, and this is the dichotomy of doing basketball analysis, right? Is is you can be right in the moment and wrong in the big picture at times, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if Rondo taught us anything, I think it's to... Always hold a little bit back in reserve. I think he did this as a player, but as people who mm-hmm. judge the game or look at the game or offer opinions on the game, I think it's also important for us too, right? To like, maybe let's not go all in on every take, right? Because, and hold a little bit back to understand that when a player was as good as he was, that let's give a little bit of leeway to what could could happen here but i don't feel bad about talking about when a player plays poorly a a player plays plays poorly but when he plays great or above average or really good let's point that out as well and rondo was exactly that during the postseason if we talked about caruso within the context of of like this long build right from g league to two-way player to this past season being his first year on on a contract, Rondo's growth is much more like, oh, well, during the regular season, I thought he had an okay regular season. I thought he probably was. He, to Mike's point earlier about the points he was making about Dwight, about like, these are the memories we have and erasing those memories is is hard. Last year, his first year with with the team, Rondo was bad. And he was bad pretty much all season. This year, he was better than that during the regular season. But he carried that smell with him a little bit from last season. And it was hard to get over. So he did have better games over the course of the season. But when there were alternatives that we thought, hey, maybe this guy should get some more playing time, namely the guy that we just talked about, Alex Caruso, then it was hard to see the value in continuing to trust in a player like Rondo. But thankfully, Frank Vogel did trust in him. And then thankfully, Rondo delivered on that trust in the biggest moments of the game. Mike, I think you would probably join Pete and I as someone who would probably have judged Rondo harshly during times when he was not playing as well. Were there things that were were there surprises to you? during the postseason or did you still think he had this in him but weren't necessarily willing to to like hold out that it was ever going to come no i was i was absolutely surprised by the consistency that rondo brought in the postseason and a lot of the critique of him that i think was fair whether it was this season or his first season with the Lakers, was because he would have a good game maybe one out of every five or six games. And and actually, Darius, I, th- I do think that happened his first year as well. Now, he was hurt a bunch of times then, and then LeBron wasn't there, and like the whole season was kind of a mess. Lonzo was in and out. Uh, Ingram was in and out. So that whole season was kind of a mess. But he did have his, his moments, right? Sometimes they happened to be on the TNT or the ESPN game. Sometimes it was in the notable game like against Boston. But like more, 
the reason why I think we there was this skepticism about what was going to happen once the playoffs came is because there was there was two years of evidence that it just wasn't there every night for whatever reason. And that's just objective, whether, whether it's the stats or whether it's watching the games. And but what 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 we didn't take into enough account was what Frank Vogel was consistent about was that he was always bringing them a certain level of leadership and swag and all of this off the court. So he was kind of this really key element to that locker room, to the film room, to the, the connect a connective tissue for the team. And what that bought him with Frank and with everybody else was we we know this guy, we know that it's going to be there when we really need it in the postseason. And that got harder and harder to believe that it would be day after day. And yet Frank was absolutely right. It, he just was. And there were like, I don't know how many games, maybe I'd say he was good on four out of five games, maybe in the postseason. Like he had a couple of cluckers, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you know, he brought it. And and that was that was I have to just take the L in on that one and say I did not expect that to happen. And usually it partly because it's my whole job is to not be wrong on stuff like that. But I just was. <laughs> Like, you know, that was the one player that I just did, was not able to calibrate and, and sort of didn't expect that coming into fruition. And it uh, was a big reason why they won the title. Pete, how impressive was it to you that this dude broke his hand on like the second day of the bubble? Dude, I've that's one of the most impressive accomplishments to be able to because we didn't we hadn't played for months before. So he hit the ground running after five, six months without it playing a single game and was good for most of the playoffs. And he, you know, we contrast him to Caruso in the last segment. I, he was talking about the ability to process information in, especially in the moment. Rondo is good at that, but where he's a master is in the preparation components of the game, in the film room and understanding the opponent's playbook, understanding other opposition tendencies, understanding how to beat, how the chess pieces move, right? Or or the rock, paper, scissors. I always talk about this beats that, but that beats this. Uh, is that understanding of all of that? All of that said, all of that type of stuff you still haven't talked to me out of, well, that player's a coach, sure, right? If, if you can't do it on the court, the difference to me in his game was his ability to get to the basket and then his ability on the defensive end to apply a lot of that knowledge and understanding. If you understand what the opponent is doing on offense defensively, but you're not mentally locked in and going as hard as you can, especially at his size, it doesn't really matter. You're just calling out how they're going to dunk on you, right? And he was able defensively to be very disruptive in passing lanes. He was one of our better steals guys. Um, He even held up on Jimmy Butler. We had him as the primary guy on Butler in some good lineups. Now, it was a, a stark contrast, as it was during the regular season, between the version of him that's really focused and the version that was not. But as you said earlier, that idea of Dwight being a guy that wins you a playoff game. Rondo was a big part of a, a, a few playoff wins. I don't think he makes the minimum, but it's not that much above that. No, he and, he was a minimum uh, guy this year. Was, yeah. was he a minimum guy? Yeah. So so you got two guys on the team that won you a playoff game in in that way. And so that ability to get into the teeth of the defense on the offensive end was really essential to kind of this whole assault on the rim 
philosophy that this Lakers team had is having another guy. This is why I was on that second ball handler train is that if you get penetration, you compromise the defense and all of this size and physical superiority against a compromised defense. If they're set, they can, they can bother you. Everybody can rotate like Houston. When Houston would give us problems on offense, that was kind of like how you defend the Lakers. But if the defense gets compromised, then at that point, it becomes very difficult to stop certain things. And Rondo adding that component to our team was just such an essential part of our playoff run. The standout play to me was, so look, it's one thing to penetrate the defense and get a layup against the Houston Rockets, right? Who don't have Mm -hmm. a lot of defensive size at the rim. Or even against the Denver Nuggets, who even though they're a bigger team, Jokic isn't necessarily a rim protector in the classic sense. It's another thing to still have some ability to do that against a team like the Miami Heat. And if there's a play that will stick with me to like, who the hell is this Rondo player? The spin move? It was that spin move against Bam yeah, Adebayo, yeah. right? Hard drive middle, ducks away with the spin move, drop step, drop step mm-hmm. <laughs> finish on the left side of the basket. And it's like, who the hell are like who the hell are you? And where have you been? Yes. <laughs> and that's the stark contrast. It's like, and look, I get it, man. Rondo came into the league as like what, like a 19-year-old? He played one year at Kentucky. Um, he's one of those guys who isn't old, right? But he's been in the league a long time. Um, I think 13 years now for him. There is an element of picking his spots and and holding something back. And um, Mike mentioned it earlier about the idea of like, oh, it was a TNT game or it was a nationally televised ESPN game or it's the 5 p.m. you know ABC game or it's against the Celtics. Man, when he dialed, when he really dialed dialed in, and where effort, where effort met preparation, to me is is where he was at his best. I wish it could be like that for 50 or 60 games during an 82-game season, right? Um, but maybe that's just not to be expected anymore for a guy his age, his size, with that many miles on him. But just high-level contributions f- from him and necessary contributions to win a championship. And you'll never be able to take that away from him. So props to him, man. It still is all about the postseason to guys that have been there before and won before. And that's what we didn't get to see last season for Rondo or for LeBron. And we did get to see it this season. And that's like right away, Rondo comes back against Houston and, you know, struggles a bit in game one as expected. But then games two, three, and four, he's huge. He has 10 points, nine assists, five steals in game two. Uh, That's a, a big win for the Lakers. Game three comes back, 21 points, nine assists, his three threes. Game four, That's 11 crazy. points, 10 rebounds, eight assists. And like this, this again, I didn't, Houston was never going to beat the Lakers four times, but that was not a, that was, there wasn't somebody else in the roster that was necessarily going to be able to do that, um, that, that which he did. And then he, he had pockets against the Nuggets and, you know, game six against the Heat was another great one, 19 points, right? But yeah, those, those playoff moments are what guys at a certain level of their career live for. LeBron is such a freak that you can't even really put him in that conversation because even if he doesn't play well in the regular season, he's going for 28, 10, and 10. 
And But you can see that show up more in a guy like Rondo. I'm just glad for him and for everybody watching from a Lakers perspective that he was able to pay that off, um, that original gamble that they took, that it was going to be there when it counted. All right. So to, to close this off, I want to kind of go around uh, to each of us with quick thoughts on somebody that we haven't mentioned yet that we just wanted to say something about, right, that that uh, stood out to you guys in terms of their contribution to this championship. I'll start out. Um, Kyle Kuzma. He's a guy who had been a, a scorer on bad teams that his performance was inconsistent, right, throughout the year and even into the playoffs. But I, I wanted to just express a certain appreciation for how much he legitimately improved at those parts of the game where I where I have this real appreciation for Caruso. Kyle Kuzma got a lot better at a lot of things that matter that really nobody aside from his coaches or other players would be able to truly appreciate, right? The the nuances of the game that help you win, but are not going to get you, uh, you know, views on social media. They're not going to get you uh, adoration in from a, a broader group of, of people. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there with Kuz that he's, he's, uh, he really improved at things that helped us win this championship, especially on the defensive end. Yeah. For Kuz, I think back to a, a set of games in Chicago, a back to back, I don't I think I may have said in Chicago there in January, um, a back to back, the 10th at Dallas and the 11th at OKC. AD didn't play in the Dallas game, and then neither LeBron nor AD played in the OKC game. Kuz had 26 and 6 against Dallas, then he had 36 and 7 against OKC. And I felt being around him, being around the team all year long, that that it just that's where Kuz was kind of hoping and, and thinking and expecting that his game might get to by this point of his career. He just happened to be playing behind literally the two best players at his position, at least sort of defensively, right? LeBron, of course, has the basketball on that end. But that those guys were there. They were going to be playing the lion's share of the minutes. They were going to be getting the basketball, and rightfully so. And he didn't have a good argument, nor should he, um, to, to have more of the basketball. And so he had to do all these other little things that usually players in that position where there's clearly talent there, there's clearly upside, they can clearly score more that like those guys usually uh, want to be somewhere where they can get that done. And I I felt for Kuz in that context because he's getting criticized for not stepping up and being the third guy. Like you can't have a third guy when your first two are that dominant. You just, you just can't. Even if it's like, remember how Kevin Love got treated, how Chris Bosh got treated, and they had been all-stars mm-hmm. before that point, and they yeah. were older in their careers. Yeah. So I just thought the whole, I kind of rejected the whole premise of Kuz struggling this season because of the, what, what narrow role he was asked to do, how few times he was able to get out of it. And that's not saying he's a perfect player, Darius. There, clearly, there are a lot of ways that he can still improve with shot selection and efficiency and the defense got better and, and passing the ball. There, there are so many areas that you can go there. I just always felt like he got a little bit of a, of a tough rap um, for, for a guy who, who still has room to grow and that had to subjugate himself. And who likes to do that in any walk of life? Who likes to do that in their job? And, and I, I thought he did it well enough to help the team win a championship and wanted to, to let that have its, its proper course of discussion. There may not be a player on the team this year, and we talked about this with KCP going from a starter to a bench player, but there may not be a player more than Kuz who, whose role has changed as much 
over his time. No one had a bigger role change. Um, And the fact that he found a way to still contribute, like, so Kuz Kuz came into the league as basically a stretch power forward. Um, The shooting was high level as as a rookie, and it looked like that was going to be his role, right? That he was going to be the stretch four, and then last season the shooting declined, and it was like, okay, which one of these is real? Is it his rookie numbers are real, or is it the second season that's real where he's like a 29% three-point shooter? And then this season, it's like, so not only is LeBron now here, but Anthony Davis is here, Anthony Davis is not going to play setter. He's going to play power forward, which is the spot that you play. When the Lakers go, quote unquote, small, LeBron is going to be the power forward. And so what are you going to do, Kyle Kuzma? And he called on some of those wing skills that he showed off some during like his summer league time. He really became, if not an impact defensive player, like a positive, a net positive defensive player as as, you could keep him as on the floor. a perimeter guy. You could you couldn't keep him on. You couldn't keep him on the floor in any circumstance in a playoff series if he was the defender he was. And and so, but to do that on the wing too, Pete, right? And sure. to like chase off screens or hold up in isolation, and these are important winning things, right? And it's one mm-hmm. thing. Look, I talked a lot about how. Kobe's career, I said this on a pod one time, that, that Kobe's career was sort of like the Pulp Fiction script, right? Where it's just like, um, he was basically a lottery pick, but got drafted to a good team, right? And then they won championships. And then and then his team got bad. And he was like this all-world player, but on a bad team. And then they had to build back up to become a winner. And like that's not the normal trajectory for a player. A lot of times a guy gets drafted and he gets drafted to a bad team and then he gets to to sharpen his his tools, right? And, and then build up to be a dominant player. Kuz got drafted to a bad basketball team and he got to shoot as much as he wanted and take whatever type of shot he wanted mm-hmm. and and play as little defense as possible and coaches were going to get on him for that, but it really wasn't going to affect his playing time at all, right? Um now he's on a championship contender team and he has to go and say, "All right, well, what do I got to do to stay on the floor?" Almost like the Alex I got to do the Alex Caruso stuff, right? Where it's like I got to move the ball mm-hmm. or and some nights I'm going to have to score 20 and you want me to score 20, but wait, I've got to defend and now I've got to guard Russell Westbrook or I've got to guard Paul George or right it, it's it's like this isn't what it's supposed to be, but it's a very zigzagging path for a guy like Kuzma. Mm-hmm. And for him to keep his head up and keep his head on straight and to understand the vision and the long-term goal and that he's going to work to do it, just big props to him. Mike, you got somebody you want to yeah, give a shout I, out to? I think that we have to spend a little time on Danny Green. And, this, you know, we... Pete, you referred to this earlier, and KCP took some heat, and Danny certainly took his fair share of heat, uh, especially in the postseason. I just want to, I'm not a, if I had to pick between eye tests and stats, I'll always go towards eye tests. But I can't totally deny that Danny Green had a net rating in the playoffs of 15.8, which was by far the best on the team. Now, AD was second, LeBron was third. 
Caruso was fifth. Now, uh, THT was actually fourth. He, he didn't play enough time. And this tells us some things, but A, he was on the court almost all the time when he was on the court. It was with LeBron and AD. So that, that's one of those situations where it does benefit him. But he does a lot of things well. And even if the shot's not going in, and it wasn't as much as it should have, I think he was at 34% uh, in the postseason. We remember most notably the miss that would have won them uh, the championship probably in game five. But he always defended. He defended in different ways. He defended on the weak side. He's always good for at least a block a game. He's good for over a steal. He never turned the ball over. He always spaced to the proper to the proper point. He didn't try to do things that he shouldn't be doing uh, too often at least. Sometimes defenses would almost beg him, you know, to attack the rim and, and hit a floater. And he hit a couple in the postseason. So I, he's a good, solid player who missed a couple of shots, but ultimately was also the player that I, I haven't fact-checked this, but I'm guessing he played more games in the last two calendar years than any other player. Because he went to the finals, of course, with the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Then he goes to the finals with the Lakers. He never gets hurt. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just... It's, it's another one of those narrative things where it seemed like fans were getting frustrated with him based off almost exclusively some of those missed shots, which can be frustrating to watch. But that's discounting all of the other stuff that he did. And so to me, he was still very, very clearly a plus uh, and, and, that, and somebody that should be respected and thanked for his contributions as opposed to uh, sort of ripped for not hitting shots in, in a couple of moments. <laughs> I... Uh... Danny Green frustrates me, uh, but in the spirit of the pod and of celebrating players' contributions, he understands team defense as well as any guard in the league. He is one of the biggest twos in the NBA, really playing into our – we think of our size and physicality as being an interior attribute on this team, of course, which it is. But Danny Green and even Avery Bradley, right, these are physical guards, uh, physical guys who can defend out there. Um, and, and that really added a lot to the team. He plays hard. He always played hard. It was never an issue of that. Um, I, there's certain components of his game that, um, like, I don't think he's a point of the point of attack defender that he needs to be at this point. Um, and that was something where seeing him targeted on defense, like I can see the, the misses, like that's part of basketball and guys can get into deep funks. Right. But I am, I'm a little more skeptical on his, net rating and plus minus numbers based on his contribution to that. Can, can you talk me out of that, Darius? No. Well, yes and no. Haven't had one of those in, in sure. a few. <laughs> yeah, few, I gave the times. disclaimer. I gave the disclaimer that he's uh, often on the court with both LeBron and AD uh, as as one of the things to mm-hmm. help him. But but still, so, so were other guys sure. who weren't number one by a clear margin. I will say uh, no. Sure. And, and so to the yes so in terms of like, yes, let's talk you off of that a little bit, Pete. Um, fit, fitting in with great players is something that a lot of people think is easy. And it's not all of the time, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's not easy to not touch the ball for maybe four, five, six, seven possessions in in a row and then sure. get get a touch and be expected to make a contested 23-footer. And be in R- a rhythm, right? right? Yeah, It's not easy to, to always space the floor and move and move and move and move and make yourself available and, and occupy defenders in ways that help your team, right? And so, like, sure. and so he does there, do that. Are, there mm-hmm. are intangible things that he does that are similar to the things that Alex Caruso does, but not those same things 
that Alex Caruso does that I think are meaningful and help propel the group forward, even if his box score numbers are not there. Right. And so so that would be my my push towards the the idea that he's helping and being a useful player, even um, without being a key contributor to that with the ball in his hands. Right. Or, or affecting the box score along the same lines. No, I'm not going to talk you too far off off of that because it's just like, look, man, like production's important. He's a 15, 16 million dollar player. Like you want him to make those shots like the, you want him to defend at the point point of attack a little bit better better. There were things throughout the season with Danny Green that I thought like, oh, he looks older this year than what he did last year. And and, and so there was stuff like that, that that did frustrate me some. The thing I will say about Dan, Danny Green, though, is I would go back to some intangible stuff that he is a pro's pro. He carries the right mindset. He is a great teammate. And he is always someone who is projecting a calm positivity and understanding mm-hmm. long-term goals. And that stuff's important. He's a secondary leader on on a team. And those guys are super important towards the overall success. And, and so in the big picture, like props to Danny Green, would I have loved a little bit more production from game to game? Sure. Would I have loved some of those shots to go in? Sure. Like, but you can't be everything. Right. So you take the good with the bad and understand that in when you add up all of the intangible things, I thought it was probably a bit more good than bad. So props, props to him. If I could just say one thing about a guy that I wanted to bring up. um, Please do. Can I I just want to give a little bit of shout out to JaVale McGee. Right. He's not a guy who's going to get a lot of love on podcasts like this, but this dude started damn near every regular season game for the Lakers. He was a two-shift player, sometimes a one-shift player. He basically got no playing time during the playoffs of of real any substance after the first round. Yet, he was the first guy off the bench to to congratulate a teammate for for making a play. He was the most excited teammate to cheer on guys um, when when they were playing playing well. He was a rally cap guy like in baseball, right? Like like just a just a guy who was in in good spirits and and going around with the vlog and 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 just like a real mood guy right and was he the best player no like did he have his flaws like on the court of course he did but he did give this team an element of 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 verticality and and stretching the floor vert well vertically as as a lob threat. He was a key player when it came to the Lakers leading the league in block shots per game and total blocks. Another rim protector. He allowed AD to play fewer minutes at center, which I think is to AD's benefit in the big picture. So there's a lot of things that make up a team. 
And I don't think we're going to spend 10 minutes on, on JaVale McGee, but I just wanted to give him a bit of a shout out here because as, as a guy who is looked at as a starter, but understands that his starter quote unquote role is probably the most fungible of any other player that's on the team. I just give him a little bit of props because it's hard it's hard to accept that kind of role and be as positive and as team centric as he showed during this championship run. And it, it's it's fair. And the guy that I was thinking of too, Darius, is Markeith Morris, who at times was the player that was on the floor yeah. uh, because Javale uh, got benched in order that you wanted that skill set a little bit more for specific matchups against Houston, uh, yeah. and then at certain times against Miami. And I thought that Markeith. You know, that was another one where I wasn't sure what he was going to be able to come in and do. And just to be real simple with him, Pete, to kick it to you, maybe for a quick thought on Markeith, he defended and he hit shots like in, in like he didn't hurt you. Uh, it, he just he was he was tough, like he was solid and he exceeded expectations, certainly for me. And I thought ended up giving the Lakers this this wholly new uh, dimension as another guy that that they could go to that small lineup with and succeed. So, you know, he and that's not easy to do. He didn't know these guys well. He just came in and did his job. So he gets a shout, too. Yeah, he's a guy that I I liked his fit on this particular team. I, he's one of those players that I don't think would be a great fit on every team or maybe even most teams playoff rotations. But on this particular one, um, he's a good post entry passer, which I thought he served us well on a, on a few occasions. He's got a versatility. He can beat a switch in the post, right? He can punish a guy down low. There's just different elements to his game. He's probably going to make that open wing three. He's a very good wing three shooter, which a lot of guys are deep corner shooters, but he's good from that, from that spot on the wing. And so he, was able to defensively hold his own in some matchups, in others not as much. But again, he's one of those minimum contract type yeah. of guys that's helping you win playoff games, a, a, a third one in the rotation. And that really speaks to just how the team was put together and just how the pieces Can fit. I just say too that I wrote about this during the playoff run that Markeef has a nastiness streak to him. And I yeah, thought yeah. that his specific style of stretch four playing right and pete mentioned this with his um with his ability to to maybe beat a smaller player in the post off of switches and things like that is i i likened it to playing um smash mouth small ball game and yeah, yeah he's a grimy physical yeah type of and guy. his ability to stretch the floor while still being like a physical presence allowed the lakers to play to what i think was the strongest part of their identity, which is being a yes. tough and physical and mean team while still be with him on the floor, at least being able to stretch it and offer some spacing and allowing LeBron and AD to do the work that they wanted to do offensively. And that's a unique quality to carry yeah. as, as a player and, and, it was important, I think, against the Rockets and against the Heat some as well. We were a power small ball team and uh, unique in that sense. And Keith was a big part of that. Uh, all right. This was fun. This concludes our series, kind of looking back, celebrating the contributions of different people to the 2020 championship. And now we turn our attention toward the present. And uh, we've got a big week coming up. 
we're going to have a, a draft preview. We're going to take a look at the transaction window, take a look at free agency and get into some of the rumors. Uh, and so, yeah, farewell to the 2020 season. I will always remember it very fondly. And just Go a quick ahead, tiny shout out THT flashing some talent for us. Okay. That's exciting. Uh-huh. Jared Dudley off-court leadership. Just want to throw those in there. Yes. Thank you. Quinn Cook there too. And Quinn, Quinn Cook. Cook is the, the, the guy who loved the Lakers and everybody I, loves seen Quinn. all the melt everybody footage. Loves Quinn. Everybody, he's, yeah, that's what I was going to say, man. Is like, he's just in a, uh, in an environment where everybody had to be around each other for such a long time and in such close quarters, having a dude like Quinn Cook is not going to make your day worse ever. And, uh, last guy, shout out to Avery Bradley, did not go to the bubble, but was, an important regular season player for these Lakers and just defensive identity and all of that stuff that was important to to this team. Bradley played a big role in that during the regular season in terms of helping establish that culture that really did carry the Lakers the entire way to the championship, even if he wasn't there at the end to to help put the cherry on top, right? So so shout out to A B too. Yeah. All right. Thanks to everybody who made this Lakers season possible onward to 2021. And hopefully uh, we can do this all over again. But until the next one, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shaq with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it! Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! with a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.